Welcome to Pledge Weekend, everyone. We're glad you're here. If you're new to our church, most of what I'll be saying in the next little while relates to our financial commitment weekend and really isn't directed to you. Uh, we're glad you're here. We just wish you're here. We were, you would show up on a different weekend so you kind of see more of what is normal around here. We don't talk an awful lot about money, but when we do talk, it's there's specific weekends and reasons for that. Now, as new folks, uh, you are not ex uh, expected to be involved in this, but giving is one of our core values as a church. So uh, uh, we don't want you to feel pressed in any way. So far, we have been asking our elders, are you behind this building program and will you uh, help us with the last push to raise the funds needed to pay for our mortgage? And they unanimously and overwhelmingly said yes and then pledged on that same meeting $560,000 over the next three years. Great elders. When we went, then we went to our staff and we asked them, is God asking you to follow the elders' lead and be involved as, as they agreed and pledged as well? And they said yes, to almost $280,000 over the next three years. These, some of these are students, great staff. Now there's one more group of people that we're going to be talking to who have been waiting for a long time. They said, keep us in mind and keep us in, that we would like to get involved when the rest of the mortgage is, involved, is, is being paid for. And so we will be going with those people and asking them to pledge on Saturday night. We're just ref uh, taking a video here. We're a little bit ahead of ourselves, but that's going to be on Saturday night. And I know it's going to be overwhelmingly a lot of money because people have already talked to me about this. So for the next three years, we hope to raise enough funds to take care of our mortgage. Now we come to the rest of our church, you and people on Sunday, who, have, who uh, will, will you follow the elders and the staff and this group of givers lead and give as God has directed you? That's the question. Now I know many of you are still finding yourselves undecided as what am I gonna give for three years and this is bad and that looks good and well relax. I don't want to feel, have you feel pushed in any way or give anything specifically anyway. We're not pushing you. But what I would like to ask you to do is listen to what King David and his heart, how he was such a generous guy. At the end of my message today, we're going to ask all who want to commit to pledge certain things to fill out a, a pledge card. And we'll talk about that later. And by the way, the, then for two weeks, we're, uh, we're gonna have some other messages on things. And then we're gonna uh, reveal all that was, will be given over the next three years in that, in that weekend. I believe it's true that many of us as parents realize there's one word that's really used by two-year-olds more than any other word. And we all know what it is, no. Our kids yell no when something's wrong and everything else. Well, there's another word now. The word, they learn it usually around two, maybe three, and, and it's used most of the time when people are using somebody's toys and they shouldn't be using somebody's toys. And someone will yell out, mine. Psychologists say that these two terms were usually partly be, used partly because the process of individuation of a child who needs to make their own way in the world. I disagree when it comes from persistent declaring people that are 50 years old and still declaring that their words and their attitudes that we are the only ones entitled to this and that and I want to keep all that, is that, all that is mine around me mine. Many older people talk about being mine and not open to being sharing. The eternal truth about us is that there will be a day coming that we will say one of those two words. 
which either it's all yours, God, or it's just mine. When we, say, when we say it's all yours, we speak of all that comes from God. For all that is, is God's, and we regularly give things back to him to prove that. Using the word yours is the way for the God's kingdom to be used. Now, using the word mine is a way for the evil one, which will end up in a place where God is not present in all of eternity. When we say mine, we declare that it is what I do with my stuff. It's my business. I don't have to submit to anyone or give anyone anything. I pray that all of us will continue to choose to live out that wonderful word, yours, as we see King David, who is a champion of being of other, a champion of helping and giving to others, as he declared yours in his life. Now, when I think of David, I think of a person who's not really perfect. He didn't do real well in some areas of his life, his family, his sexuality, his use of power, his use of, well, his dishonesty, his legacy, but he was a great giver. One problem is many of us are confused as to what a generous heart really looks like. And I'm often asked, you know, if I follow Jesus, does that mean I have to give everything away and live like a monk? The answer is no to that. Because David had lots of stuff, but he, he knew how to give and he knew how to, to generously bless others. And that's what we're looking at here. He even would give to his enemies and bless them. Amazing. Today, I'd like us to look at three stories in David's life and that reveal his generous heart and gives us really some direction as to how our hearts should look if we are generous people. The first story is found in the first Samuel chapter 30. The life principle here is generous people focus on the needs of others, not just our own discontentment. This story is about when King David was away in battle with his army, but he had left home, which is the city of Giz, uh, Zitlag, which I believe we have some pictures of, unguarded. And when they returned, they found the city ransacked. It says a, 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 gr a group of rogue Amalekites uh, stole all the women and children and anything worth anything else and burnt the city. Now, when David's soldiers got home with him, they were angry, and the scripture talks about them being tired. They were so angry, they were, wanted to kill David. They blamed him for all of this. The Bible emphasized that, emphasized that David's army of 600 men were really tired. They chased after these rogue Amalekites until they caught them by the Besor Ravine, and there's some pictures coming up on that. They fought the Amalekites until the, they were all either dead or ran away, and after a couple of, day, of days, David's men recovered their families and all that was stolen from them. Now, there was a problem the, because David's army was attacked that attacked the Amalekites was 200 people short of what he normally had in his battle line. They had 400 people that went against the Amalekites and beat them all. But now when the, when the army of the, the fight is over, the men that went and fought are looking at the men who did not fight and they're saying, listen, this is wrong. Why should we have to give out of what we're getting back to these guys? They didn't even fight in the war. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 22. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his own wife and children and go. And David replied, no, my brothers, notice this, 
brothers, he calls them. You must not do what the Lord has given to us. He has protected us. He has delivered us from the hands of this raiding party, and he has come against them for us. Verse 24, now will you listen to what I say? Sorry, verse 24, who will listen to what you say? The share of the men who stayed with the supplies is to be the same of all that went into the battle. All need to share this alike. This text says that they were evil men and troublemakers wanting things differently. They declared to be unfair for the 200 to get anything because they didn't fight for it. Notice David's gratitude to God and his generosity to others is integrally connected. David said, no, 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 to the evil and troublemakers. He said, God has proved to himself over and over. He's provided for us. Remember, just a few years ago, we lived in a cave. Remember that? That was the cave of Abdullah. And they had nothing, but God provided for them so that they, were, they could become generous in God's kingdom. They said, comrades, we need to be generous with all the soldiers. Why don't we live equitably with all of them? David's thought about money centered around how generous God was to him and the soldiers. David's thinking was that God is already providing for what, for what we need. Why can't we step out in faith and bless them as God has blessed us? Most of us are not driven by God. Most of us are driven by what others think, our neighbors, our friends. And sometimes these people are full of envy and coveting and greed. A while ago, I found um, that the phrase keeping up with the Joneses came from a Harvard economist after World War II. James Duesenbury was his name. He wrote about what, di what directs most of us is greed and wanting to keep up with others, the Joneses. We seek things, he says, that, uh, and want things. We, we want jobs we don't like. We, we make money we don't need to buy things we can't use to impress people we don't even know. That was all his talk talking in, in the reporting that he did. And just when we think we have it all together, what happens? The Joneses refinance. What should we do, he asks. Declare to your neighbor he's the winner and stop comparing yourselves with others and all that we have. Can you see it? Knocking on the guy's door. Just so you know, I'm not in the game. I declare you the winner. You can have a better lawn than me. That's good. It makes you think. Some people may think we're nuts about doing this, but it does make you think. Stop running after the frenzied game of materialistic idolatry and choose to be grateful for what you have and look for ways of giving stuff away to others. Because here's the truth. If we focus on our discontent, then nothing in our lives will ever be good enough. Nothing like your spouse, your pets, your kids, your car, your house, your clothing, your techie devices, your shoes, your church, your province, your education, your job. I can keep going. The list is never ending. But when we choose to be content, then the needs of others come into focus and our, and our gratitude, God compels us to be generous with others. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, tells us to choose to learn to be content and to ask God for his help. Learn to be content. It's a choice. I'm not saying, verse 11, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know what it is like to be in need. I know what it is like to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret between contentment in any and every situation, whether we're well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We must choose and learn to be content, and that's a process. It takes time. The second story comes from 2 Samuel 24, starting in verse 18, and it teaches us that generous people proactively look for opportunities to give. Rather than just to get more stuff for themselves, this text teaches that generous people will know that giving is first and foremost a matter of the heart. Now for most people, David's actions in this story just don't make sense. There's a guy who was offering to give David some land and some animals. So he wouldn't have to pay for them, but he would just give it to him because of great respect. Most would say, well, who cares who pays for it? David cared. He cared deeply. And he said, if I do not pay for this, then I didn't give something. I didn't sacrifice for God from my heart. And that, that doesn't cost me anything. I'm not giving sacrifices like that. Let me give you a cheesy illustration as it relates to this kind of sharing a dessert in the restaurant. We all understand this. There are many of us who do not want to share a favorite dessert when someone else is there. Some of us will even cut down on some lighter carbs or lighter calories in wise hopes of being able to have a specific favorite dessert unscathed. But many of us have so-called friends and spouses who like the evil troublemakers in David's army say such things as, I just would like a little bite of yours. Translated from the ancient Hebrew, I'm going to eat all of your dessert. That's what it means. Now, giving this isn't giving generously. It's generous if the sacrifice does not cost, it isn't, sorry. Giving isn't giving or generosity isn't generous. Generosity, if the sacrifice does not cost us something. If you and I refuse to give them a bite of our dessert, it is not a sacrifice and is not actually, isn't, it, actually it's proof that the dessert owns us, not us owning the dessert. David looked for the opportunities to give sacrificially rather than to simply acquire more land and things. Giving bolsters our generosity and our heart to sacrificially give more. And also when we give, we give a little bit of ourselves and our heart changes and becomes a little more freer from the grip that some stuff has on our lives. In this text, David wanted to sacrifice something so that he demanded that he pay the owner for this piece of land, which later was the place where the temple of God was built. We have some pictures here that we can show. This is the place where Isaac was bound and almost died. This was the place where just blocks away, you can see in the background, where Jesus died on the cross. This is an amazing place and David treated it as a holy place because he must have known its great worth. You know, when we give, we set in motion a spiritual chain of events that cannot be stopped. Good things start to happen in the lives of the ones who give things and the ones who receive. The heart of the one who gives grows and makes us want to give more. And the heart of the one who receives is grateful to God as well as grateful for the person who gave. The heart of those who watch, uh, children and grandchildren, and other people that are watching you, friends, they become emboldened to give more of themselves. And the heart of heaven, the heavenly unseen world, when the angels rejoice, but demons hate seeing you and I become exceptional givers. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, 
running over. It'll be poured onto our lap. For with the measure we use, it will be measured back to us. Giving is real evidence that God's will is being done here on earth as it is in heaven and that his kingdom is breaking in. Though because we are becoming extravagant givers like Jesus is, we give and forgive. It's just who God is in his core and that's how he operates. My prayer today would be that many of us would become champions of giving like King David did. The third story is from 1 Chronicles 29 where we learn that generous people increasingly experience joy from giving and generous people are contagious with that joy. David is leading Israel to build the first temple in Jerusalem which will be a place of the Ark of the Covenant. But David wanted to build it but God said no, his son Solomon will. It's the, he is the one to build. Yet David continues to be giddy, to give all kinds of gold and silver because he gave the way that he was supposed to give. And many people followed his example. And I believe the example of David is what we're doing here in our church. He knew that all of us, all the stuff that we have was his. We're learning that these days. Many of us believe that it's ours. And, in, and if we believe that, we're wrong. We just get to use stuff for a few years and pass it on to somebody else when we die. I would like us today to understand and use a certain phrase that it's, and that phrase is, it's not my stuff. Let's say that together with me. It's not my stuff. One more time. It's not my stuff. This is important because it'll help you understand and remember. Let me give you some scenarios and I'll ask a question and you respond with, it's not my stuff, right. So now as we sit in this service, as we think of all the things that God owns and how he gives us so much, we are reminded that all we have is God's and everyone agrees and says, it's not my stuff. So when you go home today and have lunch together, you can look around your house and say, it's not our stuff. So when you and your and husbands, or husbands and uh, teenagers, sorry, when your wife asks you or her mom to pick all kinds of things up from around the house, you need to look at her and say, it's not my stuff. Well, maybe not the last one. This is a huge learning because it, it propels us to giving willingly, not simply because we have to, but because we want to. We recognize all that God has and all he's given to us and recognize that we have the authority and responsibility to do it rightly. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, cheerful giver. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way that so you can be generous in every occasion. And through this, your generosity will result in thanksgiving being given to God. As we look towards how we give towards the For the City financial campaign, we want to make sure that you are not feeling pushed or pressured. But we are praying that this is the type of giving and opportunity as you step out in faith that will be done in great joy as you do that. And as you not rob God's wallet from him to work in you and through you. Folks, this week I... I found a new verse, 1 Chronicles 29, 17, which says, I have seen with joy the willingness of your people to give. That's exactly how I feel about us and what we're doing here. Our elders have joyfully committed uh, themselves to 560,000 or, uh, or so, and, and our staff to almost uh, 280,000. 
Amazing. Not unbelievable. Some people say, oh, that's unbelievable. Very believable with faith, but amazing. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the, the, uh, the joy that giving gives us. Thank you for your word and how we can become more and more like you by giving. And we ask now in Jesus' name, by the work of the Holy Spirit, as we go in and, and uh, talk now about these pledges, I pray in your name that you will speak to us and through us to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Being that we're online, there'll be a link to pledge in the description below. And that way we can get connected with you. If you would partner with us, we'd appreciate it. See you later.